Eroticism is important. It influences and energizes our entire human experience. Eroticism isn't sex. It's sexuality transformed by our imaginations. We encourage lurid listeners to cultivate eroticism, to play with it, smack it, and rub it down. We want you to enjoy yourselves, your partners, and your sexuality. You are entitled to your sexual self. This show is for adults only and contains erotic stories that sometimes feature provocative characters and intense themes and situations. Spanning many literary genres, including action-adventure, science fiction, romance, horror, fantasy, and paranormal. Please listen responsibly. Hey, hey, Lurd listeners, welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast. This is your host, Rose Carraway, and joining me excitedly is Big Daddy Dave Carraway. Say hey, Big Daddy. I just had my first foot fuck. <laughs> With my shoe on. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't my favorite part. <laughs> I was just trying to make him feel better. <laughs> you have no idea what we're talking about, and that's okay. Uh, so many things happen before we start recording. It's ridiculous. All right. Hey, welcome back to Cuck Week, January 26th, day two. Everything is going great. We want to let you know that I have done a few interviews with Dr. David Lay over at the Sex and Psychology Podcast with Justin Lay Miller. I did an interview with Dr. David Lay on this Savage Lovecast with, oh my God, Dan Savage, which really, I was so terribly nervous because our KMQ podcast would not exist without the Savage Lovecast. Uh, and and I could talk about that all day. You should. But, Let's talk. Uh, well, I, I just, well, before we do, I also got to talk to my very first cuckoldress. The Venus Cuckoldress podcast interviewed me with Dr. David Lay, and I got to talk to Venus, who is a very sexy cuckoldress. Oh, my gosh. And she's so sweet. <laughs> it was great to be on her show, too. Um, yeah, so back to Dan Savage. Like, my nibblies now get hard whenever I think about that. <laughs> but but literally, um, the Savage Lovecast, you know, Big Daddy and I used to listen to that way back in the early 2000s. And, you know, we got a lot of information, like how to be GGG for your partner. Like, that's a really big one. Um, but one of the sort of overriding things that was starting to happen as I was listening was... It just, so many people were calling, so many um, partners, like married couples, would call in and they just seemed lost and didn't want to give up and were kind of heartbroken on how how do I reconnect with my partner and how do I talk to my partner about getting the sex that I really would like to try and, you know, just, just those kind of... Oh, like, we can all kind of relate to that. You know, when you've been married for a long time, like we've been married for, well, we've been together for, what is it, 27 years? Something like that. So, so long. <laughs> I love you. I but, love you too. But you have, like, you do hopefully get better at communication, but, but you know, things things go by the wayside. Eroticism might be a little harder to come by. And, 
you know, maybe you just don't feel like communicating anymore, but, but, but don't give up. And anyway, so I would just listen to the Savage Lovecast and, you know, my heart kind of just went out to all these people calling, you know, and Big Daddy and I were like, well, how can we help people? Because we feel like we're, you know, I'm writing these erotic stories for Big Daddy and, you know, he thought, well, let's do a podcast. And it just all kind of came to a head, like this whole idea of, this is what we were born to do, to host a podcast of erotica, to not only express our own individual sexualities, but to also let people know that they're okay, that erotica might be a bridge to help close the gap. And, you know, you can meet each other halfway with desires and and, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's um, like, uh, this is working for us, mm-hmm. so maybe this can work for you. Yeah. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was that simple. Yeah. Do you remember that show? The other one. So it was Dan. It was Dan Savage's show, and then I want your sex by Mia Martina. Yes, God, I really liked her all show you, too. Her voice. Ugh. All you old, old, old school podcast listeners, <laughs> you guys might remember, but she's long gone. I think. She, yeah, I don't sadly. think she does it. She did Bedpost Confessions for a while with a few other women, um, but I don't know that that one's going anymore. They were in Austin. I think maybe they're still on social media to some capacity, but Probably. I don't know if they're doing like their live shows or anything, especially with pandemic right. stuff going on. But yeah, but yeah that one was a huge two. influence too. Yeah, yeah, but you put those two together, and you get the KMQ, and you get the KMQ. Yeah. So I, again, I, I, you know, I doubt that Dan Savage is listening to our show. He's a very busy man, but thank you, Dan Savage, for having me on, and Dr. David Lay for, you know, having me along for his ride, because I know that they're all buddy-buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt very privileged to get yeah. to go on that show. So. Yeah, you were super excited. Yeah. So nervous. Oh my god, I was so nervous. Excited. Okay, don't forget. Okay, <laughs> don't forget, like, I was, I was yeah. fangirling huge. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to Cuck Week. And while we're here, we've got another sexy story planned for you. But our Cuck Week events for today, January 6th, are Cuckold Storytime with Nookie and Ryan, presented by Dating Kinky. This is a live event hosted on the Moan app, and it will go through Friday. And then we've got Kink and Cuckolding, examining the Venn diagram with Mistress K and Nookie, presented by Dating Kinky. This is a live event hosted on the Moan app for iPhone users only, and apparently it's available at FetLife. I'm not quite sure how that's working, but we will have links in the Cuck Week schedule that is in the show notes. So go there. All of the time zones are listed. Look for yours, and I hope you can be there. I'm hoping to be there, too. The next event is Cuckold Roundtable with Anya from Sexualchemy Podcast. This event is featuring guests... Cucky 122217, Real Cuckolding, Poor Little White Boy, and Her Jackalope, which Her Jackalope, I think, did a really good um, blog post that we shared on at Cuck Week's Twitter feed. I might want to share that one again. That one was really, really good about how he had this fantasy of being cuckolded and, and how it came that he his wife kind of found out through I think some paperwork that he had or some stories that he had written or something and um, and so he was kind of caught off guard and and just what sort of snowballed after that and and how they finally you know worked it all out um, very good and very like from the heart um, 
Yeah, that was a... A very moving post. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, So we'll see if maybe we can link that one, too. The third event is Madonna and Whore with Anya and Cuckoldress Scarlet. This is also a live event hosted on the Moan app for iPhone users only. Don't forget to plan ahead for the Cuck Week final wrap-up Q&A session held on Twitter Spaces, where you can get your questions answered by cucks, cuckoldresses, mistresses, and bulls in the lifestyle. Remember to plan your questions out ahead of time. Have them written down so that you guys can just read them. If you prefer not to speak, I will open up the at Cuck Week Twitter's DMs during the event so that you can message your questions there. Follow Cuck Week on Twitter at Cuck Week. That is our hub for all the links, all the goodies, all the events, interviews, and blog posts as they happen. We're also doing an audiobook giveaway. It is a first-come, first-served basis. The first five people who tweet, I heart insatiable wives to us here at the KMQ on Twitter will win a free insatiable wives audiobook. Please, no DMs. They don't count. You must tag us in your tweet at the KMQ with I heart insatiable wives so that it shows up on our timeline. And I'm just going to say, if everyone who's nervous about tweeting something like that on your personal Twitter handle, mm-hmm. make a new one. Make a fake one. Make just a fun, make a sexy one. one. Like, have fun with it. Like, be creative. Yeah. <laughs> and then just cancel it once Cuck Week is done or keep it. Yeah, and that's how it. we, you know, however, you know, play around on there. It's, it's okay. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I say we get to our next little interview snippet that we've got saved away with Dr. David Lay. We talked to him a little bit about the history in Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray, and the Men Who Love Them. I'm not a historian by trade, but I have always been fascinated by history, and I and I believe strongly that, you know, we better understand our current experience by grasping the history um, that God is here. And, you know, researching and reading the history for that book um, was was just a joy. I mean, you know, going back and talking about, you know, Messalina in the Greek times, mm-hmm. um, talking about the the various um, cuckoldress wives um, and cuckolded husbands in British, you know, nobility history um, was just so much fun. And then it's like children, right? You're not supposed to like one child more than the other. <laughs> but, you know, I, d- I don't want to hurt the rest of my book's feelings. But the one part of that book that is my absolute favorite is the section about all of the various women around Lord Byron. You know, as a as a teenage boy, I mean, I had this... I had this kind of bizarre literary crush on Lord Byron. And when I ended up being able to include him in, in this book, it was just, it was, it was like a gift. And, and it was like, it was like the guy had this magical ability to free female sexuality to explore its entire capacity and women that came into contact with him went away with their their libido just like supercharged 
It's just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And then not only did I get to include, you know, Lord Byron, but I also got to include um, some comments and, and references to Robert Heinlein, one of my other favorite authors. Mm-hmm. So it was just, you know, I, writing that book was just kind of this joy of bringing all these fascinating, fun threads together. It's really cool. It was really neat to narrate the historical parts of Insatiable Wives. Um, that was like your favorite. Uh, well, that and the, the couples. And it was like all of it was my favorite. <laughs> like I really do feel that way. And, you know, I've said this before. I literally, I think I was smiling the entire time I was narrating. So except for during maybe a couple of little challenging parts, you know, whenever it deals with racism and stuff like that, like that was a more serious tone. But uh, it was super fun to put a little extra swing in my hip whenever I did the whole Mae West quotes and then put a little twang in my voice whenever I was talking about Mark Twain. Like those are fun things for me. And and I love of those, course, by the way. I, <laughs> and of course, the Lord Byron stuff. Like, I mean, Big Daddy, you're my Lord Byron. You, know you, it. you have released my female sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, So the historical parts in this book are fascinating. I really cannot um, thank Dr. Lee enough for for including that. I don't think it would be the same book without it. No, I think he's right. It's 100%. This is how we got here. Yes. Right? I Mm -hmm. mean, and to also illustrate, uh, this is endemic to our species, right? I mean, we're talking, this has been going on since forever forever Mm -hmm. and i think that's a very important point to understand that i didn't understand until we did this book Mm -mm. right i thought this was some sort of newfangled thing that was coming along because of the internet age and communicate whatever Mm -hmm. whatever no this stuff's been going on since the beginning of time yeah and the internet just has allowed people to be able to find a place to talk about it so that's really cool thank you internet for that (laughs) um so there you go there's a little another little audiobook snippet to pair with that interview snippet, we've got an audiobook snippet featuring a little portion uh, about Lord Byron. Here you guys go. This is Chapter 5 Insatiable Wives Throughout History. After Byron fled to Europe, he had several lovers. But his last lover, and the last lover who was married to another man, was Teresa Guiccioli. Teresa was born to an Italian count and forced to marry a wealthy 57-year-old count when she was 18. Her husband had been married twice before, and both wives died under somewhat mysterious circumstances that led to rumors of poisonings by the count. Teresa first met Byron only three days after her wedding, but it was not until one year later, dissatisfied and disillusioned with her marriage, that Teresa began a relationship with the dashing young lord. Count Guiccioli was aware of his young wife's infatuation with Byron and even seems to have been a confidant to Teresa, who shared with her husband the circumstances of her first romantic attractions to Byron. Guiccioli did attempt to separate his wife from Byron, taking her out of Venice, where she had met the young lord. Their relationship continued, though, in heated and passionate letters. When Teresa fell ill, she begged Byron to attend her in Ravenna where she and the Count lived. Though surprised at her boldness, Byron did attend Teresa there, joining her in bed and moving into the Count's palace. Once recovered, Teresa and Byron left the palace for a return to Venice with the Count's blessings and support. 
The Count's support was not long-lived, however, and when Byron declined to loan the Count a large sum of money or assist the Count in obtaining a government position, the Count confronted the couple and demanded Teresa return to their home. Teresa chose Byron over the aged husband she had never loved. The Pope, asked to intervene, granted the marriage a legal separation, and Teresa then spent the next five years inseparable from Lord Byron. Byron famously inscribed a copy of Madame du Stahl's Corinne to Teresa, describing his relationship with the book's author. When Byron went to Greece to assist in their fight for independence, Teresa stayed behind with her father. Byron died in Greece, and Teresa appears to have mourned him for the remainder of her life. She had a few brief, unsatisfactory affairs and married a French nobleman when she was 47 years old, free to marry after the Count had died. Her French husband, the Marquis de Boissy, celebrated his wife's torrid relationship with Byron, introducing her as the former mistress of Lord Byron, and kept a painting of Byron in his drawing room. After his death, Teresa announced that her husband and lover were now united in the afterlife as friends. Throughout history, many wives and women have rejected the stricture of monogamy or the limitation of one man to share their bed. The stories of these wives vary, with some experiencing the social punishments traditionally levied upon unfaithful women. But many have been far more successful than one might expect, given the history of severe social punishment of sexually powerful and unfaithful women. Though there is evidence that these sexual practices were not limited to the upper class, the best documented cases are among the intelligentsia and the literati. These women may have held some degree of insulation from social rules by virtue of their class or by the different rules applied to artists and the creative. It may be due merely to the fact that these individuals' lives are better documented by virtue of their artistic contributions and connections. Dang, Byron wouldn't get him a job. <laughs> I mean, he let he he, <laughs> he he let him fuck his wife. And Byron's like, nah, I'm not gonna get you a job. <laughs> that is just a taste of what went down in history. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> That's so awesome. Like chicks, I mean, damn. <laughs> chicks are amazing. <laughs> All right, there you guys go. That was another little audiobook snippet, uh, a little taste of history, if you will. Uh, but here we go, day two of Cuck Week, and we are featuring the story titled Windfall, written by Tamsin Flowers. Europe was on the move in 1946, a relentless flow of the dispossessed, surging tides of bodies passing each other with silent friction. People were searching for loved ones, husbands, brothers, fathers, or chasing lovers, old and new. They were looking for work, for a home, for comfort, for a new life. Anton and I were no exception. Of course, we wouldn't see our boy again. I'd known it as my breath clouded white on the morning he'd left. 
we said our goodbyes on the step, an awkward embrace, a final word. He in his freshly pressed uniform and creaking boots. Anton and I, workaday as always. I knew it when we closed the door behind him. The notification had come in the heat of a June evening, but my grieving was almost done by the time they told me. I still see Claude's face at night before I sleep, in those lonely moments when before I would have prayed. The motion of the train jarred me, and I felt the new life inside me turn restlessly. I wondered if the new face would obliterate Claude's, perhaps not at first, but later as the child grew older. I placed a hand on my belly for the comfort it gave me. I should have been sleeping. It was after midnight, and Anton was snoring softly, his face pressed against the cold glass of the window a string of saliva glistening on his chin. But the few hours when Anton slept were precious to me, time to commune with myself, to be able to yawn without his solicitous glances, to rub my back without having to push his hand away, to think what I liked without having to compose my face so as not to alarm him. Solitude is a thing you take for granted until you lose it, and soon... I would lose it entirely to the demands of another hungry mouth. The train moved at a slow canter through an uneventful night. I'd raised the window blind enough to catch the rotating vista of moon-bled fields and huddling villages. Sleepy towns with a single light coming from the baker's shop window. And blacked-out stations where there wasn't expectation of a train until morning. But we stopped occasionally, Place names I'd never heard of. Empty platforms lit by sulfurous bulbs where no one waited to board our train. We would stay for less than a minute, long enough for a lone man or a woman with a tired child to alight. Then the whistle would blow and the engine would strain to take up the weight of the carriages, the wheels sluggish on the cold steel. Anton slept on, but I heard the door at the end of our carriage slam shut And, as the train inched painfully forward, the sound of footfalls approaching along the corridor. I turned my face back to the window, silently willing the new passenger to pass our compartment by. Our blinds on the corridor side were pulled down tight. Keep out. Keep moving. Don't come in here. Keep out. Not here. My mantra didn't work. The door opened, and there was a rush of cold air. A man in an American Army uniform backed into the compartment, our compartment, pulling a heavy pack in after him. An infantryman going to Paris, I guessed, to join the exodus of G.I.s on their way home to their land of peace and plenty. He pulled the door shut behind him, leaned his pack against it, and dropped into one of the empty seats on Anton's side of the compartment. He gave me an apologetic smile. Anton, awake now, scowled, but I detected a smell of cured meat, ham, or salami. Perhaps the man had food. Maybe he would share it. Hunger moved inside me with more frequency than the child. Saliva flooded my mouth. 
I looked at his face and saw that he was young, perhaps the same age as Claude, who was frozen in my mind at 18, though by now he would have turned 21. Would have if he'd had this boy's luck. Sorry to disturb you, ma'am, he said, smiling again, showing off straight white teeth. There was flesh on his bones and his cheeks bulged like ruddy apples, so different from the sculpted hollows on practically every other face I saw. I answered him in French, but I could see he didn't understand me. My wife said it wasn't a problem, said Anton in his broken English. He looked older than his years, worn out, next to the American's vitality. We sat in silence. The compartment grew warmer. The soldier's pack blocked the draft that had come in under the door, and his large body radiated heat. At least I could be grateful for that much. The boy bent forward to undo his laces and loosen his boots. I studied the side of his neck, the skin a little grimy, mostly tanned, until it became pale where his collar sat. I could smell cigarettes on him and beer, and I wanted to reach out my hand and trace the tide line between the darker and lighter skin. I made a sound, and he glanced up at me. I could read hunger in his eyes as clearly as he could read it in mine. We hungered for different things, but we were fellow travelers now. He leaned back in his seat and studied me. I felt suddenly self-conscious in my threadbare clothing. My hair was dull, and the skin on my face was like parchment. I looked at my hands, dry and rough and red in my lap. Your wife is with child? he asked, addressing Anton. She is. The American looked at me, but I stared resolutely at the floor. There was a grubby confetti of ticked punches under my feet. Well, we'll wet the baby's head. As he said this, the boy reached into a side pocket on his pack and drew out a wine bottle. It had no label, no doubt from a small producer who sold from their own back door, the cheapest way to numb the soul. It had already been opened, so he was able to withdraw the cork with his teeth. It made a satisfying pop as it eased free. He took a long drink himself before passing the bottle across to Anton. Anton could have finished it in one draft, but he knew my need for it was greater. He handed it across to me. I drank some, then gave it back to the soldier. He finished what I'd left and let the bottle roll away under the seat. Anton leaned toward him and beckoned him to meet him halfway across the empty seat that lay between them. My wife is very beautiful. Very. It was true that I used to be beautiful, but six long years of deprivation and grief had almost entirely robbed me of my looks. The man was being kind. Anton leaned in closer still. When did you last have a woman? The boy's cheeks flushed. He glanced at me, but only for a second. I made sure my face remained impassive. We had done this before, Anton and I. You have food, said Anton, by way of explanation. Her child needs nourishment. The soldier looked at me again. This time I gave a small nod. He nodded in return. Anton sat back in his seat, his role in the transaction completed. He'd got what he'd been angling for. I stepped across the compartment to stand in front of the G.I. I raised my skirt slowly, revealing first the tops of my darned stockings, 
than the quivering flesh of my thighs. I wore no undergarments, and I showed him all of me. He took a sharp breath. Perhaps what I did was unexpected, or perhaps he expected it, but hadn't seen a woman's cunt in a long while. For a moment, he just stared at me, at that part of me. Then he leaned forward and buried his face in the soft folds of flesh between my thighs, his nose pressing hungrily into the cleft. I almost took a step back. I had to put a hand onto one of his shoulders to steady myself. I looked across at Anton. The tip of his tongue rested on his lower lip, and his eyes were fevered. I glanced down to see his erection, and he smiled at me. The G.I. pulled his face away. It glistened in the dull light, shiny where my juices clung to his skin. He sniffed, smelling my musk. He was breathing harder than before, and I could see the outline of his erection, too. I bent forward and put my hands on his belt buckle, searching out his eyes with my own. He nodded. Permission granted, I slowly drew the khaki webbing through the steel buckle. He rested his head against the seat back and closed his eyes. I could smell his sweat. He needed a shower, but it wasn't an unpleasant smell. I drank it in. Everything about him was youthful and vigorous compared to Anton, who could have passed for my father rather than my husband. When I had undone all the buttons of his fly, he raised his hips and pushed his trousers down to his knees. He was wearing white shorts, grimy and threadbare, but I wasn't going to judge. The war had left us all impoverished, victors and vanquished. My focus was on his cock as it pushed against the thin fabric that confined it. He started to inch his shorts down, but I put my hands on his to stop him. I would do this, and my husband would watch me doing it. All the boy had to do was let me. He understood immediately and lifted his hands to place them behind his neck. I looked across at Anton to make sure I had his attention. Of course I did, then leaned forward to kiss the soldier on the mouth. I let my tongue skim his lips, softly at first, then with more pressure. He opened up obligingly, and the kiss ripened as we searched for each other's flavor. He tasted of garlic, beer, and tobacco. I tasted of none of those things. I let the kiss spin out for two or three minutes, but after that, I wanted to feel his mouth on other parts of my body. I broke away from him and unbuttoned the bodice of my dress. I pulled up the chemis I wore underneath to expose heavy breasts. They were ripening, preparing to produce milk for my child. Already the areola were dark and plummy. I scooped one of them up with my palm and guided it into his mouth. He grunted as his lips and tongue came into contact with my skin. A surge of excitement flushed through my cunt as I felt his hot mouth on my flesh. I looked at Anton. Our eyes met and he smiled. One of his hands was already burrowing into the front of his trousers. This is how it always was. He would offer me to a stranger, more often than not a man in a military uniform, and then watch, enwrapped, as another man's hands prized me open, as a cock other than his own plundered me. 
I've fucked Russian, German, French, Italian, British, and American soldiers, all for Anton's pleasure in seeing another man use me. When they're rough with me, he likes it even better. Some of them notice Anton with his hand on his cock, watching. Others seem oblivious. Only once has one shouted at him to go away, a Russian general who afterwards gave me half a bottle of vodka and a plug of tobacco. The war broke down the rules of normative society. Soldiers in a foreign country do things they wouldn't do at home. They fuck another man's wife in front of him. And this was how we lived, Anton and I, through the conflict. The fighting might have finished months ago, but it would take a long time for normality to return. Turmoil and soldiers were still spread wide across the continent. The G.I. took his hands from behind his head and reached out to raise my skirt. With my breast still captive in his mouth, I reached down and slid his shorts from his hips to halfway down his thighs. Set free, his cock lolled up against his stomach. He held my skirt bunched at my waist. I stepped forward, then straddled him, placing my knees on the bench seat on either side of him. I spat on my palm and grasped his cock. It looked clean enough, but this was a ritual I did with every stranger's cock. More symbolic than effective, I knew, but I wiped away the dirt and residue of any previous sexual encounter, using my spit to clean him. He sucked harder on my breast, clamping his teeth against my nipple, grinding it harshly. I lowered myself slowly into range, stroking my cunt with the dark, rounded end of his cock. I nestled it between my labia without letting it find its way inside me. His greedy hips thrust upward at me. I rubbed myself up and down against his shaft, and he moaned, Please. He was so young, and I was teasing him. I relented, glancing across at Anton as I slipped myself down onto the boy's cock. Anton's hips jerked, and so did the soldiers. Both of them exhaled. I put my hands on his shoulders and then started moving slowly. I fucked him, but always with my eyes on my husband's face. Anton's gaze never left my own as he worked his cock through the fabric of his trousers. The soldier's head was back, and his eyes were closed. He was oblivious to the fact that he was part of a menage. It often happened this way. As soon as they had Anton's permission to fuck me, they seemed to forget he was there. A pretense to avoid the awkward realities of the situation. I angled myself to maximize the pleasure afforded by his cock inside me. Then I found one of his hands and guided his index finger to my clit. He was inexperienced, but willing enough. And with my hand over his, I showed him what I wanted. Pregnancy, this time around, was different from the first time. When I'd been carrying Claude, I had no appetite for sex at all. But this time, I wanted it, painfully so. My orgasms changed, too. More intense, and my distended belly contracted and felt hard as the climax roiled through me. I felt an almost constant need to be fucked, to be filled. 
I moved faster on the soldier's lap, jerking his hand away so I could put off my orgasm. I was ready, but I knew Anton would want it to last longer. He liked to take his time. He liked to watch me teasing men, bringing them to the brink of orgasm, and then slowing things down. Not letting them cross the threshold time after time until they were almost begging for it or simply took control and rammed themselves into me until their cock exploded and gave them release. The soldier opened his eyes. I pushed one of my breasts up to his mouth again, and he sucked on it gratefully, losing himself once more. Anton unbuttoned his fly, and I watched the expression on his face change as he took hold of his cock, skin to skin. He tightened his grip on it, practically a stranglehold, sucking in breath and biting his lip. Still, his eyes held to mine, mine to his. I slowed down, taking my lead from the pace of Anton's hand as it slid up and down his shaft. I knew he was imagining it was the soldier's hand on his cock, though he'd never allow that to happen for real. His desires were as complex as my own, and this was how we worked them out together. In his other hand, he held a rag, ready for when he came. I would know when that was about to happen. His eyes would glaze over and drift from mine. It would be soon. We moved faster, still in time. I pushed myself up until I was nearly off the soldier's cock, then plummeted down until I slammed against him and he was as deep inside me as he could go. His teeth marked my breast and I left a scratch on his neck. Anton's eyes closed and he came silently, cradling his cock in the rag as it jerked against his hand. I clenched my muscles until I felt the soldier coming inside of me. Then I dropped a hand down and took my own pleasure, arching back, still shocked by the different way my body responded. The soldier moaned through gritted teeth, hips flexing up against me. I pushed down in return, both of us grinding out our climaxes on the other's groin. Then his body relaxed, and he sighed. His cock, hot and heavy, started to slide down inside me. My muscles still clenched him in the aftermath of my orgasm, but I raised myself off him, letting the flood of his cum spill out across his lap. He stared up at me, embarrassed by what had come out of his body. Perhaps this had been his first time with a woman. Probably not, but he was certainly unsure of himself. I gave him a reassuring smile and wiped the mess away with my hand. Anton held out the rag to me, and I cleaned myself with it. No words were spoken, until all of us were dressed again. Thank you, said the soldier. There was a slight tremor in his voice. I have food. Please, let me share it with you. We ate in silence. Bread, sausage, and windfall apples. In Paris, we left him struggling with his pack on the platform. Somewhere, perhaps on another station platform perhaps asleep in a strange bed. There was another young soldier, a man who'd planted the seed 
inside my belly. We'd never know him. I wouldn't even remember his face. I couldn't say which man it was that had left it there. Just one of the many. Anton placed a hand on the small of my back. Come, he said. You need to sleep. you guys thank you so much for joining us for cuck week day two follow cuck week on twitter at cuck week don't forget we're doing that audiobook giveaway tweet i heart insatiable wives to the kmq it's a first come first served basis we're giving away five audiobooks follow these amazing cuck week contributors at fake dan savage at Justin Lay Miller and at Cuckoldress V of the Venus Cuckoldress Podcast. Audio production by Big Daddy Dave Carraway. The KMQ would like to thank the following musical artists Kai Engel and the KMQ introduction music by Vivich. The Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast is a Stupid Fish production brought to you by Cuck Week. Follow us on Twitter at Cuck Week. Stupid fish. I like to call that the quim pro quote.